Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13. Read verse 13 through 20. I will build my church. This is where, this is the passage where Jesus spoke those words. I will build my church. Matthew 16 and verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, others Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus, the Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help me now as I preach this amazing truth. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your intention. I pray that you would help us to see that you are the Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of building our life on that fact. Please help me as I preach. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit. God, please forgive me of sin. And Lord, I pray that you would have your purpose accomplished in this message we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the first mention of the church in the Bible. This is the first time Jesus utters the word Church. The second time is in Matthew 18, where he talks about settling matters of dispute. And he's talking about bringing matters before the church. And then primarily the word church is used throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Jesus started the church. Jesus died for the church. And this is the first mention of him talking about the church. What is the church? The word church means a called out assembly. It means not a building. doesn't mean a, a building. Even in the, in the Greek and Roman world, it never meant a building. We kind of come to use that term in a, a modern sense throughout the usage of time. But in the Bible, the word church is never meant a building. It's always meant to call out assembly. And in this particular passage, when Jesus says that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. In this particular case, he's talking about 
those who are saved and baptized and belong to a church. Now, most of the time in the New Testament, when we're talking about the word church, it's talking about a local, visible assembly. Sometimes in the Bible, when it uses the word church, it can talk about it in a universal sense. Uh, in, in other passages, it's kind of more of a, the way that we would say the family of God, right? And so here, when Jesus is saying, I will build my church, he's saying, I will build the institution of the church. He's talking about it in an institutional sense. We know that there are some churches that, are, that start and they don't stay very long, right? Even in the sense of the church at Jerusalem. Did the church, the the actual visible church at Jerusalem, did it stay a church the entire time throughout history? Can we go there today and trace the roots back to the very same assembly? Well, no, it's it's not that in that sense. So in a practical way, did Jesus's words fail? Well, of course not. The church is still here. We are evidence of that his words are true and that he's keeping his promise. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the question then becomes, well, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is not going to be a point by point. Why do churches, some churches fail and other ones continue on, but it's more on just, just the centralized truth of this particular passage that it is incredibly important to understand this verse number 18 where he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, we'll go through this piece by piece here in just a moment. So the doctrine is, the teaching of this verse, is that Jesus himself is the rock upon which the church is built. And that's what we're going to look at today. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 in verse number 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 in verse 6, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. The church will be built upon the doctrine that Jesus is the Christ. That's what we see when we go when we start once again in verse number 13. Now Jesus is going to be talking about the church in just a moment, but he starts out the discussion with a question. Listen, do not be afraid of questions. Questions oftentimes are the very doorway into which we will learn and gain the greatest truths that we need for Christianity, for your life. If you have a question about something, take it to the Lord. And don't be afraid when there seems to be a question that is nagging you. If there's a question in your mind about the Bible, if there's a question in your mind about the way that faith works or the way Christianity works, listen, that's how I came to be saved. And that's probably the way that you came to be saved as well. I grew up in church, a church just like this one in as far as as doctrine is concerned. I learned that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. I learned that 
Um, everybody is a sinner and that, that I deserve to die and go to hell because of my sin. But there was some question in my life. There was some doubt because even though mentally I had accepted that as fact, I had never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for myself. And even though I had grown up in church, it got to the point where I was about 16 years old, almost just before my 17th birthday. And for, and for a period of about one year, I very seriously doubted whether or not I was saved. I struggled with doubts. I struggled with fears. I, it kept me up at night sometimes. I was terrified that Jesus would come back and the rapture would take place and I would be left behind. I would go to our church that we attended at the time and I would look through the tracks, gospel tracks in the back and they had various tracks and I would look through each one of them and try to remember what had I done when I was a child? Why was I having these doubts? Did I say the prayer wrong? And in my mind, I was fixated on that prayer. I had to have said the prayer wrong. Maybe I left something out. And I would look at the different prayers on the backs of the tracks and try to figure out. But you know, on the back of the track, they're pretty much all the same. They're pretty close to the same. And I thought, well, maybe I missed something. Man, the question and the doubts and the fears. It tormented me, the questions did. It tormented me. Finally, I said this. Quietly after a sermon, I said, Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. Because I knew the truth and I accepted it in my mind. And that I was missing something. The peace that everybody talked about, the, the, the witness of the Spirit, all of this stuff. I thought of myself as a Christian. Everybody thought I was a Christian. I'd been baptized even. But something inside, the more... The more that I looked into it and the more I took those doubts seriously, the stronger the doubts grew. And so I finally said, Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. Will you show me if I am saved or if I am lost? Two weeks later, a visiting pastor preached and at the end of his sermon, he spoke about salvation. And he said, it's not a prayer that takes us to heaven because a prayer didn't die for you. And when he said those words like a knife, the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself said, that's what you've been trusting. You've been trusting in a prayer. Will you trust me now? And at that moment, sitting in my seat, I said, yes, I will. And at that moment, July 25th, 1999, 16 years old, almost a week or two before my 17th birthday, I was born again. And God gave me a new heart. How did it all start? From a question. And Jesus, when he's revealing his plan on how to build his church, and when he's talking about the viewpoints, we'll get to in just a moment of what other people thought of him. It all starts with a question. Oftentimes, listen, we need to consider the questions that we have about faith to be from God himself. The truth is not afraid of a question. If you are, if you are honest with yourself and looking for the truth, the truth is not afraid of a question. 
I'm reading a fantastic book right now called, uh, oh, of course I'll forget the title. Isn't that how it goes? Every time. Case for Christ. Case for Christ is written by a journalist who went to Yale Law School. And he was an unbeliever and his wife got saved. And he began to look at whether or not Christ could be believed in. And he looked at it from the eyes of a journalist, but also through the eyes of a lawyer. Is there a legitimate case to believe in Christ? Or is it just all made up? Is it all make-believe? Do we believe in fairy tales? Is this just Cinderella? Is this just unicorns and princesses? Are we Listen, we have not believed cunningly devised fables, the Bible says. And I believe that. But don't you dare be afraid to look into it either. Don't be afraid to look into it. Don't be afraid to look into whether or not we believe cunningly devised fables. The questions come from God. And if you are interested in knowing the truth, dig into it. Ask me. And if I point you to a resource and you really want to know, buy the resource. Look into it. And so Jesus says, and he says in verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Look at Jesus asking his disciples a pretty tough question. He's saying, Hey, do you look at me the way everybody else looks at me? What do those guys say? And they answered him, verse 14. They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. And it's interesting. Verse number 14. John the Baptist, the next one is Elias, which is um, Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Listen, this is a list of dead guys. It was more comfortable for the lost crowd to believe that Jeremiah or Elijah who had been dead for hundreds of years. It was more comfortable for them to believe that somehow that these old prophets had come back from the life. John the Baptist had been beheaded. It was more comfortable for them to believe that John the Baptist, who was beheaded, had come back to life. Jeremiah, who was scorned and mocked, had come back to life. Or Elijah, who had been ascended up into heaven, had come back from heaven. Then for them to admit that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Imagine. Your flesh, if it has a question, will always look for the loophole. It will always look for a way for you to stay comfortable and not to make the hard decision. If you're looking for the truth, there is plenty of evidence for the truth to say Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But if you are dead set on never changing your viewpoint, you can find a way to rationalize that John the Baptist had come back from life. Isn't that what the world does with Christ? I'll tell you what, every religion has some way to rationalize away Jesus Christ. The Muslims say he's just another prophet. 
They even wrote their own, their own religious text. Where in key points they even try to say that Judas Iscariot was the one crucified and not Jesus. The Buddhists will say he's a prophet, he's a wise man. Some even dare to say that Jesus in the missing years of his life, where the Bible doesn't record from the ages of 12 to 30, traveled all the way out from Israel, all the way to, the, to, to India to learn the wisdom. They try to find some way to rationalize and they find some way to authenticate their own belief instead of coming to the place where Jesus is who he said he is and there is ample proof and it's a choice of simply believing. Many will die in unbelief and walk past mountains of proof. Mountains of proof. Having discussions with people where they don't want to believe in Jesus, but they believe in aliens. And maybe this is all just a big video game to somebody. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, I know that there are movies that are based on this premise, but I didn't believe that somebody actually believes this. There are people who really believe that. By the way, that is just a technological version of Buddhism, where everything is just, nothing is real. We're all just imaginations. That's a Buddhist doctrine, and they're just trying to computerize it. It's all an illusion, the Buddhists will say. And people will go to great lengths to not be honest with themselves about the great questions of life. Man, we've got some good ones too, don't we? You can be saved and on your way to heaven and still rationalize why you don't live by faith. Well, I can't go to church every week. I gotta have a life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. You want to have a life? You put him at the center. You make him the rock of your life, of what you're building your life on. And you'll have a great life. You'll have an amazing life. Well, I went to church one time and I got hurt. Join the crowd, friend. Oh, that's me. No, I'm being serious. Join the crowd. Everybody's been... If you go to church for any length of time, you're going to get hurt. Well, I'm coming to this one hoping I don't. I'm hoping you don't either. I'm doing my utmost to make sure that I don't hurt you. But guess what? However many people we have in here right now, every single one of us is a sinner. And on top of that, so are you. Which means that everybody can act like a complete Christian and your mind will trick you into saying, they should have treated me better. Guys, listen. We've got an enemy. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the individuals in the church have a choice to make. Is the, is the devil going to prevail against you? That's up to you. He is the accuser of the brethren. And in your mind, he will accuse the brethren of horrible things that they have done to you. And in reality, they haven't really done anything. Well, they really have done something, Pastor. That's true. And a foundational doctrine of Christ is forgiveness. 
We have to forgive. Listen, this is a foundational doctrine of Christianity. We have to forgive. You don't know what they did. You're right, I don't. But I'm not the one telling you to do it. Jesus is the one. And there is no one who has been more deeply hurt and more offended than Christ. And the Bible says, yet he gave himself for our transgressions. He gave himself for our transgressions. When we slapped him across the face and mocked and laughed, he instead reached out his hand in forgiveness. Questions are extremely useful in finding the truth, but only if we are willing to admit that it's the truth. Then he asks them, whom say ye that I am? It's interesting in the the New Testament, Jesus often will use this term, the son of man. The son of man is a reference to the Messiah in the book of Daniel. The son of man. The son of man. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Let's turn our Bibles there real quick. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Jesus most often referred to himself in this name, the Son of Man. Now, why did he do that? He did that for many reasons. One, he was constantly connecting himself back to prophecy. He was connecting himself to Old Testament scripture. And and the Jews knew this scripture. He's connecting himself back to the Messiah. The Messiah being the Christ, the anointed one of God, the one chosen of God. The one chosen of God, not only to have a kingdom that will never pass away, but also the one who will die on the cross and bear the sins of many, as it says in the book of Isaiah. But it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man, he's saying, hey, that's me. (laughs) That's me. Right? Every time you see that when you're reading throughout the New Testament, understand what Jesus is doing here. He's connecting himself back to God and he's connecting himself with that prophecy that he will have the kingdom that will never end. Okay? By the way, let me just point this out. We don't follow John the Baptist. I've heard some people say, well, we're Baptist because John the Baptist. We're not Baptist because John the Baptist. That's, that's a whole other discussion But we're following Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm a Christian before I'm a Baptist. Amen. I'm a Christ-like one. I'm a Christ follower before I'm the Baptist. Well, tell me what the difference between a Baptist and all the other ones are. 
Let me tell you the difference between Jesus and all the other ones are before I tell you the difference between a Baptist and all the other ones. Man, I like that kind of preaching right there. Tell me about your religion. Friend, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And it's a relationship not with a denomination or a church, but with a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. You guys got scared when I stomped. Huh? It's okay. Hey, when you're preaching about Jesus like this, you got to stomp every once in a while. It just goes from, it goes from your brain and in your heart and it travels down. Eventually, you just got to... It's like a balloon, right? It's like a water balloon that's just getting a little too much pressure and finally just... We're following the Christ, the Son of the living God. So why did churches fail? They stopped following the Christ, the Son of the living God. We'll see that here in just a moment. Verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Man, what a verse. The Son of the living God. There's no mistake in what he's saying right there. Jesus, verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, Bar meaning son of Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It is God that has to reveal that to you about Jesus. It's not something flesh and blood, meaning he's standing right in front of Jesus looking at him. There is nothing with Jesus' face or his stature or the way that he, nothing about flesh and blood with Jesus that that revealed him as being the Messiah, the Christ. When people looked at Jesus, he looked just like another Jewish man. Some Hindu gods and goddesses, their skin tones are even different colors. One of them is blue. Right? Krishna is blue. He has a blue, blue skin. Right? And you see different pictures or different paintings or depictions of Jesus, and he's got like this halo. Right? Or maybe he's got like a goatee and long hair. Okay, well, every guy who's got, by the way, he didn't have long hair and he didn't have a goatee. Okay? He was a Jewish man. He had a full beard and shorter hair. That was the style back then. All right? But what, what he's saying is like, you couldn't just look at me, Peter, and figure, figure this out. You can look at the evidence. You can, you can look at the physicality, but it's not the physical things. It's the Father that's revealed it to you. And can I say this is the truth? When... When people hear the truth of the gospel, the Father, the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to that person's heart and begins to shed light on on their understanding. Their spiritual understanding begins to open up, and they're like, ah, he really is the Christ. And at that moment, at that moment of recognition, you have to come to understand that you're either going to believe and trust him as your Savior, or you're going to reject him and say, though I know in my heart that he's the Christ, I'm actually just kind of saying, well, you know, to my friends, yeah, he's probably just John the Baptist come back to life. Because if you recognize him as the Christ and you believe in him, he will change your life. John the Baptist coming back to dead, coming back to life from the dead, that doesn't change your life. That's just, that's just a curious anomaly. Jeremiah, that's something for the newspapers. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming down from heaven and living in a human body, and the Father revealing that to you in a spiritual way, that demands a life-altering decision. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Now, if you look at the Greek, and I don't know Greek. Okay, to the college students here, I've never taken a whole semester of Greek before, so good on you guys for doing that. Good for you. 
But I'll tell you what I can do. I can look at a dictionary. And I can look at this. And it's not necessary for you to look at a dictionary, for you to read the Bible and get something out of it. But it's helpful. And there's a little bit of a play on words here. Peter means a rock. A stone. Okay? Thou art Peter. You're a rock. Look, isn't it good that, by the way, Jesus kind of renamed him when he first met up with him? Isn't it good that when you meet Jesus, he, he renames you in a way? It's like, look, I don't, want, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to, hey, Jesus renamed Peter to his face. You need to let Jesus do that for you. Stop thinking of yourself as being identified primarily by the person you used to be in the past. And let your relationship, when you get close to Jesus, his relationship with you, he will say, let let me tell you what I think of you. Peter, when you blow up and you fail and you cut somebody's ears off, I still think you're a rock, man. You come back to what Jesus thinks of you. Don't come back to what you think of you. Don't come back to what your mom thinks of you or what your dad thinks of you or what that person said to you one time. Do not allow yourself to be typified and known by and come back to the the, the thing that, oh, I am my failures. You're not your failures. You've been forgiven. Your name's written in heaven. Let me tell you something. Simon, even though you are a loud mouth and you get yourself in trouble and, and, and you're always messing up and you're cutting people's ears off, I mean, physical violence to solve problems, ever been there? Hmm? You're Peter. Who are you? Who do you think of yourself as? Psychology always wants to bring us back to our childhood. And there's some, there, there can be healing in that to a degree. But if that's where it stops, Jesus brings me back to the fact that I'm his child and not my childhood. Oh, man, that's good right there, friend. Print that on a T-shirt and preach that for a while. Hmm? You are not your childhood. You're not your childhood. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock. What rock? That next word is like a giant cliff. (laughs) That's what the word means. Right? You ever seen a rock so big? I mean, it's not a mountain. And it may not necessarily be a cliff, but it might as well be. It's just like a gigantic, massive rock. Right? That's what Jesus is trying to say. You're Peter. You're a little rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock is he talking about? He's talking about... The revelation that Peter just uttered moments before. I'm going to build my church on the fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That, listen, no matter how small, no matter how much of a rock we are, because sometimes we don't recognize that God's changed us. We don't recognize, we don't recognize who God has made us. Victory in Christianity is not so much as recognizing Completely and just looking at myself and saying, no, 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 I am different. No, 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 I am different. No, 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 I am different. 
That is not the foundation that God builds a life. God builds a life on the recognition that Jesus is different. That he is the rock. The only reason I'm different, the only reason the little rock is a little rock, the only reason that Peter is Peter and not Simon is because of the big rock. Is because Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the source. That is the chief cornerstone of our faith. Brother, I'm failing. I feel like the gates of hell are prevailing against me. Stop looking at yourself and trying to tell yourself that you're different and gaze intently into Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the victory is by looking at Jesus. It's not by looking at us and trying to coach ourselves into looking at ourselves different. And when churches forget that, listen, there are churches that just look at themselves. Well, we're different. <laughs> they all say that. Every church, I mean, you draw a, a one kilometer uh, radius around us, and every one of them, well, we're different because. We're different because, and that's what they advertise. Isn't it? We're different because. And they've all got a reason why they're different. We're different. And yet, churches fail when they get so caught up in how different they are instead of worshiping the one who is different. Christ should be the cornerstone of the church. What does that mean? It means that we come here not... Oh, listen... We're not going to get through all this lesson, and that's perfectly fine. That's not the point. The point is not to get through a lesson. The point is for God to speak to our heart. That's why we come. There are churches that think that the way to go forward is by examining how different they are and how unique they are. And Christ is forgotten. Christ is forgotten. I've got problems, Pastor. That's why I come to church. I really wish you'd preach a series on XYZ, whatever it is. Whatever, whatever the struggle is that you have. Let's name some, shall we? Relationships, finances, depression. Anxiety, that's a big one. Um, Future things, whatever. Jesus says, let me tell you why I built my church. Let me tell you what the focal point of the church is supposed to be. Peter, everything comes into focus when you recognize that the focus of the church is Christ. Somehow, when we come together and we sing songs about Christ, my problems just seem to kind of float away. 
doesn't need, it doesn't mean I don't need information about that thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the information about whatever problem you're dealing with, the relationship problem, the anxiety, the, 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 the fear, all that. The re- listen, the relationship without the foundation, or I'm sorry, the information about that topic without the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's the focal point of your life, is immaterial. You lose Jesus as the focal point of the church, and we are done. It's about him. Your life is about him. Our life is about him. It's about loving him. It's about recognizing what he's done for us. Isn't it interesting too here, guys, that verse number 18, uh, verse 16, look at this. Whom do ye say that I am? Simon Peter jumps up, man, he's the spokesman. Every group has one of those. That's fine. Sometimes we fight over who's going to be the spokesman. But Simon Peter, man, he jumps up and he says it. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, within the context, he just said this amazing thing. And Jesus immediately says, yeah, and you're a small rock, but I'm the big rock. Only Jesus can say, yeah, you're right, but don't get too big on yourself. Don't become prideful in your knowledge, Peter. Peter's knowledge of Jesus was not the foundation. Oh, man, that'll work right there, friend. Peter's knowledge and experience with Jesus is not the rock upon which the church is built. It was not successful because of Peter's knowledge of him. Because pride causes us to just absolutely fail. Christ himself is the rock. Now, the Catholic Church wants to use verse number 18. This is the the verse that they use for papal authority, for the authority of the Pope. They're trying to say that right here is where Jesus tells Peter that he is going to build the church on Peter. This is the verse they use. And this is where they get the idea of a pope, according to them. But we can see from the passage, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. Is he saying that? He's not saying that. Okay? He's saying, I'm going to build it on the rock. What's the rock? The rock is Christ. We can see that throughout Scripture. Okay? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto these the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The church. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Let's look at the rest of it. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It simply means that Christ is going to give the the keys of the kingdom or the knowledge of these spiritual things to the church. Who is the what what is the institution? Who is the person? What is the thing that has taught the world about Christianity? Well, it's been the church. It's been Christ. Christ in his church. It's not been It's not the institution of the family. It's not the institution of the government. Amen. It's not the colleges and the universities that have 
that have taught the world about the truth of Jesus Christ, it has been the church that has had those, that, that responsibility. The key represents responsibility. If you've got the keys, man, you, you're, you've got to be responsible to get the keys, right? And so he's saying here, the church is the one that's going to have the, the rights and the responsibility to perpetuate Christianity after Christ has gone to heaven. And we'll get into that a little bit later next time. But let me ask you this, guys. Let's wrap up with this question. When we're considering the fact that Christ wants to build his church, do you find yourself coming to church primarily concerned about yourself and trying to fix your problems? Or do we find ourselves primarily coming to church to worship God? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.